we've been in a series called I Am Blessed. It's, uh, it's been kind of a long series. It's actually eight weeks. We've been kind of going through uh, a lot of the summer, and we started talking about, well, eight weeks is a long, is a long series. Typically, people get ready and, and tired after about week four, week five at the most, and we thought, well, which one of the Beatitudes are we going to cut out of Jesus' words? So we thought, <laughs> you, you can't really cut them out. So, so we are actually going through... Uh, the first several verses of Matthew chapter 5, it was one of the greatest, scholars say the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached because the sermon embodied the DNA of who Jesus was. It was what he stood for. And so the first several verses talk about the attributes of blessed people. Now, these are Jesus' words now, and he goes through, blessed are the, and then he, he, we've been actually filling in those blanks each week as we've gone through the series And today, we're going to be in verse 9, and I'm just going to read it to you. This is what Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Say peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let me just hit the last part of that verse for just a second. Do you know why people look at my boys, especially my oldest, and they say, good gracious, he has got to be your son? (laughs) Because he looks exactly like me. We resemble God the most when we're showing love through peace. That's when we look like God. That's when we appear like God. Now, just so we're clear, there's a difference in peacemaking and peacekeeping. Okay, let me just try to describe the difference for you. If I'm trying to keep peace in my marriage or in my life, in my relationships, there's sometimes an avoidance. I am keeping the peace, so I am going to push something under the rug. I keep the peace, so I'm going to appease somebody for the moment. Sometimes uh, we can actually get involved in what we call doormat syndrome, where we try to keep the peace, and so we just let somebody kind of steamroll us. We look for ways to possibly ignore the situation so there can be a semblance of peace, but the issue we all know still lurks. That's peacekeeping. Peacemaking is different. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. This is when I actively look for a way to resolve conflict. And that means actually walking through the conflict itself. And when we do, you're a model of acting the way God said act when it comes to conflict in your life, to be a peacemaker. There's a a story that's told of a man who woke up one morning, glanced at the obituaries in the newspaper, and found his name in there. And at first he laughed. He thought it was kind of funny. Uh, But then later on, the phone started ringing at his house, and it was acquaintances and friends calling to find out what happened and to give sympathy to the family. Um, And it got to the point where he was really irritated at all the phone calls, so he calls the newspaper and gets the editor on the phone and says, listen, in your newspaper it said that I was dead and I'm actually alive. And the editor got really embarrassed, and he tried to be uh, a problem solver, and so he goes into the mode, and he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix this right away, sir. I'm really sorry. He said, tomorrow morning, I'm going to put your name in the births column. (laughs) Peacekeeping is different than peacemaking, isn't it? Let's talk about it for a minute. Why should I be a peacemaker? Because unresolved conflict in our lives not only damages our relationships, but unresolved conflict in our lives hinders our relationship with God. It's interesting because later in this chapter of Matthew chapter 5, he's talking in the exact same sermon now. And in verse 23, this is what he says. He says, if if you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them 
and then come and offer your gift. Back in the day, they would have to go to the temple a lot, and they'd have to offer sacrifices to God. That was one of the ways that they reconciled with God. Today, it would be like going to God in prayer. Today, it would be like coming in here and worshiping. It would be drawing near to God. And Jesus wasn't instructing uh, us on, hey, if we have an issue with somebody else, you know, you go ahead and, and make sure the issue is resolved. He was telling us what we should do when somebody else has an issue with us. He was telling us what we should do before we come to him whenever somebody else is holding the emotions of the conflict. And he says, you know what? Seeking peace isn't just about seeking peace whenever you feel the weight of it. But sometimes seeking peace is about going to somebody else who has a problem with you and making sure that you're reconciled. Before you come to me, he says. And so he is putting, stressing the importance on what it means to be a peacemaker and why we should do it. Because when we are, we show the world that we're his and that we're saturated with peace. So in the time that we have left, I want to do a, uh, show you a couple of things that we can do to get on this path and go a long way in being peacemakers. Being peacemakers where? Well, at home, being peacemakers at church within the body of Christ, being peacemakers with your siblings or whatever relationships that you have. So let's, let's do this. You ready? That was like five of you, okay? <laughs> I'm assuming the rest of you are on the other side of the peacemaking equation, right? So are you ready? Let's, let's do it. So when you have conflict, when you have discord in your life, number one, plan a peace conference. Now, that's a fun way to say that, and you don't have to call it that, but it just makes it easy to remember. Plan a peace conference, but plan a time whenever you can talk. And here's the important part of that. Make sure it's the right time, the right place, and the right spirit. Right time, right place, right spirit. Whenever somebody is just getting off of a 12-hour shift and they're exhausted, that's probably not the time to have a peace conference because they're not mentally prepared. They're exhausted. They're not fresh. Uh, the right place. When you're shopping in Walmart with your husband or your wife, that's probably not the time to have the peace conference. Make sure it's the right place. Make sure the environment is to where you can actually focus on the problem at hand. If there's kids running around everywhere, maybe focus it on a time when they're at school. But the right time and the right place is important. Not only the right time and place, but the right spirit. Are you really prepared in and of your own spirit to have this conversation? Are you coming to the conversation one-sided, trying to get your input out? Or is your main focus coming to the peace conference to try to understand the other person? It's okay if you're not there yet, because guess what? You're human. Welcome to the human race. Give yourself permission to be human. But wait until you can have the right spirit to have the peace conference. That's so important. And it directly determines how the outcome of that is going to be. Peace doesn't come accidentally or automatically. It takes an effort. Somebody has to make a move. Now, I just want to go ahead and tell you, as a Christian... Whether you're the offended party or the offender, the move is yours as a Christian. In fact, Psalm 34, 14 says this, turn from evil and do good. Well, define that. This is what he says. Seek peace and pursue it. And the, the connotation is like you're hunting. Hunt it down. Search it out. Go for it. And I think it's interesting because he equates intentionally not seeking peace to evil. Isn't that crazy? You know, well, I'm not an evil person. Well, are you, are you harboring bitterness in your heart? Are you harboring pride in your heart? Why, why would God do that? Why would he equate kind of not intentionally going after peace to evil? Well, let me ask you a question real fast. Do you think God is a God of unity or a God of discord? Unity. And we all can see that very clearly. 
so we can begin to understand that if we're living in discord by not pursuing peace, then we're living unlike and away from God. And so he says, seek peace and pursue it. One of the ways you can do that is plan a peace conference. Plan it. The longer you delay, the more difficult it will be to resolve and reconcile. I want you to remember this. Uh, it's better to resolve a conflict than it is to dissolve a relationship. There are relationships that you have in life that, you know what? When you calm down, you truly love that other person. And they truly love you. Why let a conflict dissolve a relationship? Let me, let me give you a rule as you think about this meeting. Uh, whenever you're planning the peace conference. The rule is this. Attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Now, I, I want to invite somebody very special with me up here right now. And her name is Jessica Barbado. Everybody say, hey, Jessica. Well, she's a lot better looking than I am, so I want you to stay focused. But this is what happens whenever you have a problem in uh, your marriage or your, your life. It doesn't matter what it is. And, and I want this podium to represent the BHAP. Now, you're probably wondering what a BHAP is. Now, most problems you can kind of go through quickly, but sometimes you have a BHAP. You have, you have a big, hairy, audacious problem, okay? And, and, and that's what a BHAP is. So we're here, and, and we want to make sure that we're not attacking one another. We want to make sure we're attacking the problem. But the issue is, is a lot of times we leave the problem in between us while we're trying to attack it. And so what do you think happens? We're both trying to fire at the problem, the BHAP, because it's big and it's hairy and it's audacious, but we have horrible aim as human beings. I don't care how good you think your aim is, you have bad aim when it comes to the relationships in your life. And so we're looking at the problem and we're trying to attack the problem, but I get agitated and irritated and my words bounce off the problem and they hit her. And her actions bounce off the problem and it hits me. And so when you come into this peace conference, you have to be understanding that, you know what, my main job is not to attack this. My main job is to go be reconciled with her. And so what happens whenever we keep the problem in the middle of us? We try to attack the problem, but we end up hitting one another. But what would happen if instead of attacking her, attacking her we got on the same page? And we got on the same side of the problem. Now, I'm with her. Now, we're not focusing on the problem so much, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but now we're on the same side of the problem. Now, we can reconcile. Now, what, we can, what can we do? We can look at the problem together. And all our ammunition, all our focus, all our energies is, is, is focused on attacking the problem, attacking the big, hairy, audacious problem, right? You understand that? We have to attack the problem, not the person. You got to get on the same side of the problem. That's hard for us to do. Thank you so much, honey. Everybody give Jessica a big hand. Should I leave this up here just so you can see it the whole time, or will you be distracted? I thought so. I'm going to take it down. Proverbs 15.1 says this. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know what that means? It means in the middle of your peace conference, engage your mind before you engage your mouth. Think about what you say. Ephesians 4.29 tells us this. Paul was telling the church, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, say only, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. He says only. He doesn't say 92% of the time. 
And then 8% of the time, you can throw a little zinger in there that kind of gets what you need out. He's saying only talk, only let come out of your mouth, especially during the peace conference, especially when you're trying to reconcile relationships. Only let come out of your mouth what is helpful for building somebody else up. We can understand this in principle, but in practicality, this stinks. And if I'm being completely honest, we all are horrible at it. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. It takes an effort for me to go, you know what, I really just need to be quiet right now. Because I'm only supposed to let come out of my mouth what is, what is beneficial to her for building up her. According to what? According to her needs. And I said, well, that sounds kind of one-sided. No, not if we're both doing it. We're giving each other 100 and 100. You know what that means? That means we're not holding anything back when it comes to one another. I'm putting her before me and she's putting me before her. And if we're, you're both doing that, and whatever the context of the relationship is, then your relationship's going to grow. You're going to be reconciled, and the problem will be solved, and you will be peacemakers. Focus on cooperation. Focus on building up, not being a tear downer. So many times we, we're trying to hit the problem, we hit each other, and, and we leave this what we're supposed to be a, a peaceful meeting, and we leave and we're more hurt than we were when we started. Peacemakers go in spirit of agreement and compromise. And so when you're going to this, this peace conference, this peace meeting, you're going trying to look at the needs of the other person. Romans 12, 18 says this, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know what the truth is? Being a peacemaker has a price. And the price is this, your ego and your pride. And that's one of the, the biggest things that we have a hard time giving up, our pride and our ego. You know what that means, husbands? That means you may have to admit that your wife is right. I know it's hard because you're a fixer by nature and you have all the answers, but sometimes that cutting your ego and cutting your pride down, paying that price, it means you may actually have to look at your wife and say, you know what, you're right. Wives, it may mean you have to look at your husbands and say, you know what, you have a legitimate gripe. What you're saying is, is truthful. What you're saying is valid. Parents, maybe the kids know what they're saying. And you're all thinking, maybe they don't, you know. And, and, but just what if? What if there is a kernel of truth in what they're saying and you could actually validate that kernel of truth? Son, daughter, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with everything you're saying, but I see the logic that you're using right now. And I, I appreciate that. Maybe, maybe some of what they're saying is actually right. Kids, maybe parents aren't total airheads. Who knew? <laughs> I remember my oldest one was probably three years old, sitting in a car seat, arguing with me on the way to church one morning. And I finally looked at him, and I said, do you think you know more than me? And he very confidently, yes, sir. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> that, that's where we're at. But know this, John 13, 35 says this, by, all, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. This is Jesus. Everyone's going to know that you're my disciples if you, what, pray three times a day? If you, what, if you read your Bible through every year? If you, if you what, teach a Bible class or you, you use a highlighter when you're taking notes in church like a real studious person? No. He said, they're going to know that you are my disciples if you, what, if you love one another. If you love one another, and that's really the hallmark of maturity, specifically for spiritual growth. It's not how much you pray or how excited you get when you worship. The hallmark of maturity among your spiritual growth is how do you get along with others? 
How well do you get along with other people? Even though some people are ungetalongable, don't, don't look around. They might be with you today. But the word said, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Now, what happens when your peace conference ends and there's still no peace? You ever done that? You tried? You tried to get on the same side of the problem and you got burned? You tried to get on the same side of the problem, but before long, you were just focused on another problem because you got so mad? And the problem ceased to exist for that moment, and now we're talking about the way you always treat me, and you don't ever do this right, and yeah, well, last week you did this, and how am I supposed to be at peace with you whenever you're a you-know-what, and da 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 and et cetera, et cetera, and you fill in your own blanks. You know you're already doing it. What happens when you, you go to the peace conference, and you leave the peace conference, and there's still no peace? I want to give you some clarity on something that we just talked about, getting on the same side of the problem. This is what you need to understand. Men and women, boys and girls of all ages, listen to this. Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Put the emphasis in your heart on reconciling with the other person, not trying to necessarily resolve the problem right away. I'm going to say it again because you're going to hear me say it and you're going to go, that makes sense. And then you're going to walk out of here and your body is going to do the complete opposite. Emphasize reconciliation with the person, not resolution of the problem. To reconcile means this, to reestablish the relationship. And resolution of the problem means to fix the problem. Emphasize the first. Reconcile the relationship. And I think this is where we mess up because we think sometimes that we're not able to reconcile until we resolve the problem. Let me ask you a question. Are people different? As far as the day is long, I mean, people are different. There are some who are decisive. There are other people that take time in deciding. Typically, those are the ones that marry each other. Some people are talkative. Other people are quiet. That's me and Jessica. I want to talk, 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 and she processes a whole lot more before she speaks. I could probably learn something from her. There are some people that are sensitive, and other people, you couldn't knock them over with a bulldozer. I mean, they just have the thickest skin. Uh, those are the people that, that tend to get married. There are some people who are extremely OCD, and their counterparts are laid back. They're easygoing. Their spouse would call them lazy. They just, you know, but they're, they're just different. Even in romance, you've got some firecrackers, and then you've got some duds. You know what I mean? Do not point. I'm just telling you, it exists. Everybody is different. And if you go to your peace conference and all you do is focus on the resolution of the problem, you may never get there because two people are coming together and they are vastly different. Everybody has a different approach, but reconciliation is different. I'm not going to the peace conference simply with one mind, and that's to resolve this problem at hand. You know what? It doesn't mean you resolve the issue right away. What it means is you get on the same side of the issue and you reconcile the relationship first. Do you remember whenever she was here and, and I moved from this side of the, the BHAP over here to this side? Here's the point. That problem is still there. We're not going to ignore it. But before we attack that, me and you are going to get on the same side of this problem. And we're going to reconcile this relationship. It means that you have to bury the hatchet first. And not in each other. <laughs> you have to bury the hatchet. So that means that you, you're able to see the problem objectively. And you're able to attack it together. There are times when we leave the peace conference and there's still no peace. And then we try to do it again and there's no peace. And then we, we try to hit the problem again and there's no peace. And we just, we, in this cycle, and we end up walking around the house weird. And then there's this big, hairy, audacious problem in the way. 
And it's not because you hate each other. It's because you're waiting for the problem to go away before you actually reconcile your relationship. And that's backwards. Before you tack the problem, reconcile the relationship. It is possible to walk arm in arm without seeing eye to eye. Resolution focuses on the problem. Reconciliation focuses on the relationship. Now, some of you in here, you've had a problem for a long time, and you're telling me, Pastor Ryan, all that sounds good, but I can tell you from experience, Pastor Ryan, if the problem was resolved, then the relationship would be reconciled. Well, you're probably right. If the problem was resolved, the relationship would be reconciled. That was probably a byproduct, uh, but resolve them the problem, that doesn't make you a peacemaker. That makes you a problem solver. And Jesus didn't call you to be a problem solver. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they look the most like God. They're called sons of God. Be a peacemaker, not a problem solver. Now, I need you to understand again, I'm not suggesting that you ignore the problem. But what I am saying is, focus on the relationship first. Reconcile the relationship first, then work on the problem together. Isn't that what God did for us? It's interesting, 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul's talking to the church. He says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to look at the first part of that. God reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Did he focus on your sin first and the problem and everything that you'd have to? No, he didn't, because guess what? You're still sinning. We, we still mess up. If you're perfect in the room, please raise your hand, and we will worship you. <laughs> and I say that very facetiously, because all of us have room to grow. All of us mess up. We're all tempted, and just to be honest, a lot of us give in. So you still have the issues at times. You still have the problems. And guess what? You tackle this one and, and, and you let the Holy Spirit help you. And guess what? Next year, you'll have a different one. Maybe one that you didn't see coming. And Satan is tricky. Sometimes he'll bring up one that you thought you had licked. And then all of a sudden, you're struggling with it again. Rewind all the way back to God and this plan that he had. He reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. And then the second part of that says he, he gave us that same mission to tell other people about him, not so that we can point out their issues and their problems, but so that other people can have relationships with them too, with God, with Jesus. Does being reconciled to God mean that we don't have issues anymore? No way, because we're human beings. But what it means is that now us and God are on the same side of the problem, and he can help us attack our problems. He can help us attack our issues, and now we have the privilege of working on them together. But God emphasized reconciliation first, and then we get to spend the rest of our lives with God at our side, helping us work through our issues. But the relationship comes first, because he reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And God modeled for us what he wants us to do in our relationships. Seek a relationship with the person first, not the problem. How can I be a peacemaker? This is the question I want to ring in your hearts today as we walk out of here. We've talked about a couple of things you can do to get on the path of being a peacemaker. How can I be a peacemaker? I want to hit this because I think it applies to all of us. In order for you to be a peacemaker, listen to me, you have to bring peace to the situation. You, you can't wait 
for peace to happen when you get there because of something that may or may not happen between two people. You have to bring peace to the situation, not try and find it once you get there. And that means this. You have to have peace within yourself. And there's two things that you need to do. One, you need to recognize that God is the source of peace. God is the source of peace. There are all kinds of peaceful things that we can reach for, things that we can try to find in this life to bring us peace, but all of them fall short. There there was even a movement in the 1960s. It was the peace movement, and it was a bunch of people protesting war. And and someone told me recently, they said, I I used to wonder, how will they bring peace by rioting? How how are they going to bring peace by picketing and and bombing? And that wasn't everybody, but there was a lot of people that were doing that. And, And this particular person said, some of them were the angriest people I know. I mean, I I just, the the truth is you can't bring peace if it's not in you. You can't give something away to a relationship that you don't have within yourself. So you have to recognize that God is the source of peace, not a solution of sorts that may or may not ever happen. God is the source of your peace, and you have to bring peace to the situation. You have to have it within yourself. And secondly, once you realize that God is the source of peace, ask Jesus Christ to give you his peace. Ask him. This is interesting. He said this in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave you. My peace, say my peace. That is different. He's saying there's other kinds. This is mine. I'm I'm giving it to you, and I don't give to you as the world gives. He was making it very clear, do not try to find peace in this world because it won't last. And that's why I don't give peace the same way. My peace is something different. My peace is something deeper. It's a peace that will not fade when the circumstances of life seem impossible to deal with. My peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. So what do you do with a peace like that? Because he didn't say, I I I will give it to you, or somehow you can somehow attain it whenever you get into the thick of things. He said back then, I'm leaving it. I give it to you. It's here. You have it. So what do you do as a Christian when it comes to God's peace? Paul tells us in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ, what? Let it rule in your hearts. if, If you look at the Greek word there and kind of geek out on me for a minute, the, the word rule actually has the connotation, the root word, like an umpire, umpiring a game, keeping the game going along, keeping it focused, keeping it uh, within the boundaries of the rules. Let the peace of God umpire in your life. Let it rule in your life. That tells me that God's peace isn't something that you merely possess. God's peace is something that you have to practice because we all instinctively want to rule our own lives. We all instinctively have things. We could think of it right now. If I said, what's your peaceful place? You could name a geographical location. And if we're not careful, the beach, the mountains, whatever it is for you can become your source of peace. And that's not practicing peace in your life. That's not letting peace rule in your life, not God's peace. That's escaping your problems to get to a place that will eventually leave you empty. God said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He said that through Paul. He's saying that to us today. Jesus said, you have my peace. And I don't give it to you like like the world gives it. Peace isn't something you possess. God's peace is something that you have to practice. Maybe you can't feel peace because you're waiting for God to overwhelm you with something. And what he's really asking you to do is practice his peace. How often do you spend practicing God's peace? Let me ask you that a different way. What do you suppose the circumstances are that give you the opportunity to practice peace? 
Are they the circumstances that you find yourself running from? God says, I want you to, that's, that's where you're going to practice peace right there. Let it rule in your heart. Why do you think we have rules in life and baseball? Because we want to break them. <laughs> and so when we get in those hard places in life, we, we want to we get out of there. And he's saying, no, let me call the shot. Stay within the boundaries of where you are. Don't escape. Let my peace rule. Let me umpire. Practice my peace right here. Do you get to quiet places often and, and hear his voice? How, how often do you wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend as many minutes as I can today with my thoughts focused on you, practicing it? Because it's in the moments where you don't want to. It's in the moments where you want to run. It's in the moments where you want to escape the hard thing that God is saying, I want you to stop here and let me rule. Let, 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 me, let me focus you in such a way where you can practice my peace. Not that I'm going to overwhelm you with from the outside in, but you're going to become very aware of the peace that I already leave, have with you, with inside of you. The peace that you already have, start practicing it. There was a, a story of a king who offered a prize to the artist who could best paint the picture of peace and what it looked like. And there were many artists that tried to paint what peace looked like. And the, the king looked at all the pictures, but there were really only two that he liked. And so he began to choose between them. And one picture was of this calm lake. And the lake just mirrored the mountains all around it, peacefully towering over the lake. And overhead was a, a blue sky with white fluffy clouds. And everybody who saw this picture said, man, if I could just get, that is the picture of peace. And it was interesting because the other picture that he was contemplating, it had mountains too. But these mountains in this other picture were rugged and they were bare. Quite drastically different from the first picture. And above the mountains was this angry sky from which rain fell and lightning played down. And down the side of the mountain tumbled not a peaceful waterfall, but a, a, a roaming, foaming waterfall. And it didn't look peaceful at all. And when the king looked at both of them, he saw behind the waterfall this, this tiny little bush in the bare mountains, right, right kind of in the cracks of the rock. And in the bush, there was this mother bird that had built a nest there. And in the midst of the rushing, angry water sat this, this mother bird on her nest in perfect peace. Well, who do you think won the prize? Some of you may be saying that the first one, the, well, the king chose the second picture. And this is what the king said. Because, explained the king, peace does not mean to be in a place where there's no noise, no trouble, or any hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of all those things and still be calm in your heart. That's the meaning of peace. And some of us today, we're looking for peace through escape. We're looking for peace through some ideal scenario that we've built up in our heads. And God is saying, you already have my peace. Practice it right where you are. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Others of you in the room, you, you need to invite Jesus into your life to experience what real peace is. You know what real peace is? Real peace is giving yourself to the one that made you and giving him real control of your life. That's real peace. Some of you are struggling with that. And the result is, is that you don't have peace within yourself. You, your life is a semblance of peace, but if you really lay your head down at night and really start to examine your heart, there's a place in you where you're empty. And some of you say, you know what, I have peace with God, but the truth be known, you really don't have peace. What you have is a ceasefire. 
you've looked at God and said, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. And there's a semblance of peace, but really it's just a truce. And I think God honors that for now. But the reality is, is until you invite Christ in your life and give him full control of your life, you're really at war with God. Because you're trying to be your own boss and there's no real lasting peace in your life. Now, for some of you, when I just said that, the light went off. For some of you, when I just said that, it, it clicked for you. You have a choice right now. You can, you can accept that. You can take this next step. I'm ready, getting ready to introduce to you. Or you can ignore it. And the fact is, is I, I can stand here flat-footed and say this. It's not me saying these things. It, it's not me speaking. I, I can speak. You can hear me with your ears. But I can't change your heart. What you're experiencing today is the God of the universe calling you, calling your name, making your heart pliable. And my prayer today as I get ready to close is that you'd respond to him. Can I pray for you today? Let's pray together. God, we come to a room like this on a day like this and and read your word and and hear the principles that derive from it. And Lord, they're hard. It it sounds really good. And today, um, as we leave here, we're probably, a lot of us are going to be encouraged. Lord, but the fact is, is that when we get out in life, that's, that's when the reality sets in and we have those opportunities to practice peace. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's when it's the hardest. So Lord, my prayer for everyone who's believed in you, who, who has you in their life, Christ, you said you gave us your peace. And it's not like the world gives, it's a deep peace. My prayer is that we would focus on that peace and learn to practice your peace and not the art of escaping. Some of us are like magicians. We, we, we escape like Houdini. We just get out of the situation as fast as we can. And that's really the, the opportunities that we have to, to let the peace that Jesus, you described in your word, grow in us. I pray we'd have courage in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, show us how to stay, to be vulnerable, to go to those peace conferences looking at the other person's needs. Get us there, God. Help us to seek you daily to where we're not just going through the motions of Bible reading. Man, I've done that so many times. Or or going through the motions of of doing uh, this or that in terms of spiritual growth. But Lord, sometimes we just need to shut the books. I can even say this because, Lord, you revealed this to me. Sometimes we just need to close our eyes and get one with you again. And have a real honest conversation from our hearts to yours. And I pray as we do that, Father, you'd speak guide us in Jesus' name. Lord, for those of us in the room or those listening online that that heard me say that, that you need to invite God in your life and, and the light went off in their, in their heart. If that's you today, I, I just want you to be bold and respond to that. Would you pray a prayer like this with me? I'm going to say the prayer and, and God, he sees your heart. He knows your heart. In fact, he knows you. The scripture says that he knows you better than you know yourself because he made you. And he had you in mind when he died for you. And that's what makes his word applicable to you today. Would you respond to him today? This is, this is what I'm going to pray. This is what you, if you will, agree with this. God, I need you. I've been leading my own life. Some of us have, have led a life way out in the left field. Others of us, we, we lead a good life seemingly. And, and we're, we're good citizens. We pay our taxes. We hold a job. We seem like good parents. But Lord, none of that's going to cut it when we stand before you in eternity. Because truth be told, you put in, the word says that you put eternity in our hearts. And that means inside of us right now, if we haven't accepted you, there's a place in us that longs and questions eternity. 
And if we don't have you in our hearts, then that means there's a place of unrest inside of us. And some of us have been trying to fill that gap with all kinds of ideology and things. But at the end of the day, you said eternity in our hearts. And that's the place of unrest in so many of us today, even if we, we don't necessarily see it. And so, God, we turn to you and say, fill that place in me. I accept you, Jesus. Because one of these days, I'm going to step into eternity. It's a certainty. And when I stand before a perfect God and a perfect heaven, I'm not worthy by myself to get in as an imperfect human being. But because Jesus came and sacrificed for me and bled and died on a cross, he saved me from my sin. And I accept that. And I also accept that he raised to life after really dying, giving me life and that to the full. So I'm going to walk out my days living life abundantly. I don't have all the answers and have all the, the questions licked, but I know this. God's going to let me know exactly what I need to know when I need to know it. And so I just aim my heart at him. I commit myself to, to reading your word and to getting to know you. I give you the authority of my life. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus that makes that possible. And it's in his name I pray. Can you say amen with me? Amen. Can we just give it up for everybody that prayed that prayer? I want you to know that's the most significant decision that you'll ever make. And I just want to challenge you, whether you're listening online right now or you're here in the room, don't let your starting line be your finish line. What do I mean by that? I mean, let us know that you made that decision today. There's a connect card right in front of you that you can fill out. If you're online, just email us. Let us know that you prayed to receive Christ today. If you're in the room, on that connect card, it has a box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Check that box. You know what You know what the enemy wants you to do right now is to walk out of here and tell you what you did didn't, didn't, didn't make, make a difference. It wasn't significant. You know how you can say it did? By letting us know. Because we're going to be praying for you. We're going to come around you. We're going to follow up with you and give you some potential next steps that you can take to make the very most out of your walk with Jesus Christ while you're here on this earth. And we want to be a part of that with you. So check that box. Be courageous and do it. On your way out, uh, for everyone that has that Connect card, we want you to fill that out. You can drop it off with the ushers. If you have a next step that you want to take here at the bridge, uh, or sometimes I say this, you come to church services for a while and you say, well, there's got to be something more to God, the church, than just coming to church services. There is, there is. And we want to make sure that we let you know what those things are. So take a second and fill that Connect card out. Let us know where you are. Let us know, uh, maybe you don't know what to do next. And you just say, hey, I, I want to take a next step. I don't know what it is. We'll get back with you. We, we will follow up with you and make sure that you, we find the next step that's best for you. Guys, I love you so much. If you're new for the first time today, thank you so much for coming. We have a place on the Connect card just for you. And you can bypass the ushers on your way out and make your way over to the VIP table. We have a gift we want to put in your hands. Guys, have a great week. Let's be peacemakers this week, okay? See you next week.